Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. I'm Heather Evans. When my twins were born at 24 weeks gestation, I began to think about the uniqueness of each of our motherhood journeys. I also began to understand the importance of education and support from other moms, no matter how different our lives may be. Each episode will highlight one mother's journey and the lessons she has learned on this crazy path we call life. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. Welcome back to the Mama Sisterhood. I have Lacey Bracken with me today. Hi, Lacey. Hi, how are you? Great. Um, Lacey, why don't you do a little bit of introduction for yourself? Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, where you live, what you do, anything you'd like to share? Okay. Uh, my name is Lacey Bracken. I have a husband of 15 years this year, um, Dan, my best friend and partner for life. I love <laughs> We've it. We've through a lot together. Mm-hmm. We um, we have four children, all girls. Macy is almost 14. Tegan is almost 13. Molly is nine. And then Finley is our angel in heaven who passed away when she was two. Um, I really, really enjoy gardening. I spend a lot of time outside, nature, love it. Um, I mostly focus on the foundation now that we've started it. I worked when Finley got sick and I just never went back to work after I had to quit when she was sick. And then I just decided that hanging out with my family was the best thing to do. And we started the foundation and I've just been kind of focused on that and my family ever since. I love it. And we will definitely get into a lot of information about the foundation because I want to have listeners hear about all the amazing things that you have been doing with your Finley Forever Foundation um, and then how they can get involved if they would like. So primarily Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about Finley today, but I did just want to touch briefly on your journey with Finley was not your first medical journey. Can you share with us a little bit about what happened um, prior to Finley's journey that kind of brought you into the medical mom world? Yes, absolutely. Our second daughter, Tegan, was born premature. She was 27 and a half weeks, two pounds, 13 ounces. Mm -hmm. She came, um, we knew she was going to come early. I had a lot of complications, but um, she came a lot sooner than we wanted her to. Mm -hmm. We were living in um, Mantino, Illinois at the time, and I was transferred up to Rush in Chicago and spent some time there before she was born. They basically said, you're staying here until she's born, mm-hmm. which I thought was going to be, you know, three months, but it was only two days or so. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up staying there for two months. Exactly. She was, um, she did really well for a preemie though, since we knew that she was probably going to come early. You know, I had very well been taking care of prenatal mm-hmm. and we, um, relating it to Finley, I always like to tell people this because, you know, when, when you're diagnosed with something um, like cancer, it's, it's a big shock. So even, you know, you have a baby premature, big shock, right? Well, I wasn't working because I had to be on bed rest basically the whole pregnancy. So I had unfortunately dropped down to part-time and then I ended up having to quit because I had I, I just couldn't go back to work. So um, she, like I said, she spent two months in the NICU and we were really tight on money and people would be like, hey, why don't we do a fundraiser for you? You know, let's help you out. This really stinks that you're driving, you know, back and forth. You're, you're a rush. You live in Mantino. You can't work. And my husband and I were like, nope, absolutely not. We've got it. We have insurance. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. And everything was not fine because we, uh, you know, we ended up losing our house. We ended up um, not being able to make car payments and a car repossessed. I think my phone was shut off two or maybe twice the, you know, the cell phone bill. And I, you know, I I look back at it now, it was kind of like a learning. I, I hate to, for anybody, I having two medical like major medical issues is horrible but it was almost like you know that happens so we knew how to handle it better mm-hmm. when it came to Finley she was our fourth child so it all kind of tied in together and I think that if Finley or if Tegan hadn't been early she was just full term I don't know that I would have handled 
Finley's cancer diagnosis the same. I, I'm pretty sure it would have been way different. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I agree with you. It is so hard to accept help sometimes, especially when you're used to being strong and independent and taking care of everything for your family. But, you know, we had a micropremia journey as well. And yeah, you pretty much literally can't do anything else. <laughs> right. And so, um, it can be hugely financially devastating for sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, okay. So your daughters were, so you had Macy and then you had Tegan. Correct. Now, then did you have Finley or then did you have your other daughter? So Molly came next. Molly came then next. Okay. Finley was the last. Okay. She was born um, September 27th. 2017. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I try to remember all the kids' birthdays. I know, and they're all so I'm sure that's hard <laughs> to keep track of the date. So, yes. so tell me a little bit about Finley. So she was born, and then how old was she when you when you um, started to notice whatever the first symptoms were that she had? Okay, I she was it was just after her second birthday. She had turned two September 27th okay. and, um, she was diagnosed on October 15th. Okay. So, um, just right after her second birthday, we were, she seemed fine. Everything was always great with her. And then all of a sudden I noticed that, um, she just had, I picked her up from daycare and when I dropped her off, she was fine. When I picked her up the same day, you could see all these veins kind of, um, showing on her chest. Hmm. I thought I just kind of saw it on her neck. So I pulled her shirt down, you know, and I looked and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I asked them, I said, did anything happen? And they said, no, she's been fine all day. I was like, okay, well, you know, we're all pretty fair skin. I figured maybe it was just, you know, you could see the veins because yeah. she had real light skin. So I bring her home. I kind of don't really think about it. And a few days later, my husband had taken her upstairs to get her ready for bed. And he was putting her pajamas on and he noticed like, kind of um her left shoulder was bigger than her right shoulder and he thought you know hey what is this is this so lump and he kept kind of feeling it and, and then he brought her down he's like hey what do you think of this and I thought oh it's probably just you know she uses this side more than the other um mm -hmm. you know maybe it's just the muscle developing more there yeah. So, you know, and you kind of think that with preemie babies, they, you know, get all the physical therapy. So, you know, about those right. things. Right. So I was like, yeah, maybe it's that, but you know, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. And that night she always slept in her crib, would go right to bed. She was like the perfect baby. <laughs> she was always really good. So she, um, was having trouble falling asleep that night. So I had taken her out of her crib and I let her lay between my husband and I in the bed. And I, she just kept saying to me, I want to lay down. I want to lay down. I want to go to sleep. I want to sleep. And I just kept saying, then go to sleep, mm -hmm. <laughs> go to sleep. Yeah. And she just was real whiny, kind of, you know, really fussy and just mm -hmm. could not fall asleep. So the next morning I told my husband, I said, that was kind of weird. You know, she's just kind of crabby. Um, and she had woken up, she had a rash all over her. So I called the pediatrician and I said, yeah, weird complaints, but mm -hmm. you know, can I bring her in? So yeah, bring her in. Um, I bring her in and I said to the doctor, you know, this side's bigger. She has a rash. Um, she was, you know, I could see these veins in her chest. I think that's kind of weird because there's a lot of them. And then, and at that time I could kind of see it in her shoulder and like kind of down her arm too. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you know what? she's got a lot of symptoms of Kawasaki disease. I think you need to take her to the hospital right away because they only treat that with IV and you know, you'll be at the hospital. They'll probably admit you. You'll be in the hospital for a few days. She'll be all better. Fix her all up, you know? Okay. So I said, okay, I'll take her to Lurie's. So my husband was golfing that day at a golf course he had never been to, and he had been waiting forever to go to this golf course. Right. It was like a super special day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I called him on the way and I told him, I said, I'm going to take her to the hospital. I explained everything. And he said, um, okay, uh, I'll be there in a little bit. <laughs> he was like, no, you won't. Just finish your golf. It's fine. Um, he's a firefighter paramedic. I was a firefighter paramedic. I also worked in an ER for a while. So going to the ER was not, you know, not a big deal for me. I just, you know, I didn't need him to be there. I thought everything would be just fine. So he's like, oh, I don't know. I'll call you back. Well, he left right then and there and came to the hospital. So <clears throat> I get to the hospital 
and they said that they weren't really sure that they agreed with the Kawasaki disease. They just wanted to get an x-ray of her chest to just start for there. I was like, okay. So we go get the chest x-ray and we come back. And by that time, my husband was there and they came back in the room and um, I don't even remember, like, <laughs> honestly, it's kind of a blur of who told us what. My husband always remembers everything, like who said what and when, but they pulled up the the x-ray and showed us and just the entire left side of like her lung was just, you know, the opposite color, you know, it was like, you could see yeah. that there was something going on. And they were like, that's a really big mass. <laughs> and of course I'm like, oh, okay. And I oddly, both of us were very calm. You know what I mean? We both, I just remember making eye contact with my husband because we were actually standing across the room from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, we're going to go ahead and we don't know what it is yet. We just know there's a mass and it's on her lung. And they said that we would be calling oncology and we were going to send her up to um, the PICU right away or the NICU, PICU, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> the ICU. Yes. yes. And, uh, you know, they admitted her right away. started doing all these tests and um within two or three days we knew we finally knew which cancer it was Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't specifically say that it was cancer because like you know but we I mean we knew that it was but we just Mm -hmm. I just remember being really calm trying not to get too upset about everything you know and what what type of cancer was it so it was neuroblastoma and high risk there are different stages of it um she was the the worst one you could get basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. So once they, once you got that diagnosis, what type of treatment did they, I'm assuming they probably started treatment right away. Yes. What, what did they start with? What did that look like for her? So for neuroblastoma with high risk, um, you actually get chemo is the first, the okay. first thing that you do. There's mm-hmm. four different things. So you start with chemo mm-hmm. and you're supposed to do six rounds. Okay. And usually they would take about a week and there'd be a three week break and then another one. Mm -hmm. Well, they had started the chemo. Well, while we were in the ER, you could see the veins that I was talking about in her chest starting to show up in her arm. Like you could Mm -hmm. literally, it was like we were watching the tumor grow. It was super aggressive and you could start seeing it down her arm. And then she became extremely uncomfortable. Like she Mm -hmm. would not lay down and we finally figured out that's why she wouldn't sleep because when she would lay down, there must've been pressure somewhere. So we had a really rough, like three or three or four days where she just could not sleep. And the only thing they could give her was Tylenol because once they had looked closer and done um, a little more testing, the tumor was actually not on her lung. It was just, it was in the chest cavity and it was pushing on her lung. It was also around her neck and it wrapped around her, um, her spine in the back, like in her neck. And then um, it was pushing on her, trachea and esophagus. So for a little bit, it was, it was really, really scary because they were like, well, most kids, you know, that you have to sit really still to do all these testing. We just, we intubate them and we, you know, go to sleep. We couldn't do that with her. So basically everything had to be done while she was awake. So um, they had to do like a spinal um, to test for, um, they did a spinal and they did like want to say they did a CT, which was really, really scary because they, you know, they bring us in the room and they're like, well, we're going to have to do this, but we can't intubate her. But just so you know, if we do intubate her, then we might have to, you know, if, if something happens and we can't get it in, you know, we're going to have to, oh my gosh, CPR, and they're saying all these words wow. like, oh, please just don't tell me this. So that's overwhelming. Um, so the chemo starts and, um, they start doing it but then as they're treating her with the chemo the first one um she starts having trouble walking she starts falling her legs aren't really working and she becomes paralyzed because the tumor squished you know on the uh the spine enough to stop her from walking Mm -hmm. so then she had an emergency uh laminectomy where they were able to remove just a little bit of the tumor um just so that it would release all that pressure and hopefully she wouldn't be, you know, paralyzed after that. Um, so things were a little dicey there too. Um, long story short, this is not actually, I can't make it short. Sorry. No, I don't. It doesn't need to be short. I feel like these details are so (laughs) important. And all I can think about this whole time is that 
she's two years old. So right. Right. you can't really, I mean, you can try to explain to her, but a two-year-old doesn't really understand why all these things are happening. Right. And, and it has just, to be so hard. It was very hard. Um, yeah. It was very scary. Honestly, I thought we were going to lose her. Like, you know, they're telling us all these things. And I remember when she went in for that surgery, my husband and I were sitting there and I was like, do we even treat this? Like, I feel like I'm never going to see her again already. Like she's going in there and they were so, they kept putting this surgery off because they didn't want to intubate her because they were worried, you know, that the airway would cut off. So close to her airway. Yeah. I was just, you know, freaking out as a mom. You're, and I just remember saying, maybe we don't, you know, why would we put her through all this if if it's not going to work? You know, Mm -hmm. she ends up coming out of surgery just fine. They were able to intubate her. Okay. So, um, we end up doing four rounds of chemo and okay. the most, her, her, uh, walking came back. Um, I would say it took about four months of, okay. you know, she was in a wheelchair at the hospital or she'd be in a wagon. And when she came home or the stroller, um, mm-hmm. and she took it really well, she was a champ. <laughs> um, then they do surgery after four rounds of chemo normally. And so they follow guidelines, um, and she actually, they told us that they have never really seen this before. Our surgeon said that, um, she, that he's never seen a tumor shrink as much as it did. It was okay. like 98% shrinkage, right? Wow. They get rid okay. of all this tumor and there's okay. like this little, just a little bit left, right? He says, I've never seen anything like it. And he's like, we don't have to do surgery if you don't want to. But we were on a study where they followed these guidelines, you know, and we wanted to stay on that study for other kids. So mm-hmm. he said, I will still do the surgery. Just know that you don't have to. He's like, I'll still get, you know, I want to get everything out of there. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that would be best. But, you know, you're nervous about your kid getting surgery and all this. Right. Stuff. Right. It's a big yeah. decision to put on your shoulders. It, it really is. Um, we went ahead and did the surgery. Mm-hmm. And he said that he had gotten everything except for there was one that was really close to the carotid artery. So he could not get yeah. it. And he said, it is, it seems like it's just like the dead tissue. You know, it, it looks like, you know, we have all these other treatments still like we have to get rid of it, you know? Yeah. So we're like, oh, this is great. You know, we're all celebrating and everybody's happy because she's doing so good. And then we went into our, um, Stem cell transplant is what's next. Usually okay. you do two in a row. Okay. And when you have a stem cell transplant for neuroblastoma, it's a, um, it's a, you donate your own cells to yourself. So okay. after I think two rounds of chemo, they did collect her stem cells and then they save them. And mm-hmm. then they get back to her when she does her stem cell transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them take two or three weeks in the hospital and it's very, very hard on the kids. They give them, you know, the strongest chemo drugs, wipe out their entire immune system, and then, you know, try to build it back up. So, I mean, these are like where you're bathing every six hours because the chemo is so toxic that when they sweat it out, it burns their skin. So you have to take baths. My goodness. I never heard of that. Wow insane. And you're thinking, I can't believe you're putting that in my child right now, you know, that she has to take a bath because it's going to hurt her skin. Um, They get very bad mouth sores. They can't eat or drink really. It's, it's just, it's horrible to watch. And they warn you, you know, and they also say, you know, there's this, um, there's risks of dying during it. And they let you know. And I remember asking, so, well, what, what causes someone to die? They say that it doesn't happen very often, but what is it that these children get to cause them to pass away from it? And uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was something with the liver where the blood flow will, it's flowing through the body, but it decides to go backwards. And the, you know, instead of going through like it's supposed to, it's going backwards and that doesn't really work for your body. And, um, Finley had a lot of complications during it. And at that, we were, I don't know, she started out great. Um, oh, and this is right when the day she, um, the day she got her stem cells was the day that 
they shut everything down for COVID. So that was even better. Uh, <laughs> well, and I was going to ask, I didn't even connect with COVID, but I was going to say, you know, even with like you visiting her or your husband, I mean, I'm assuming if they're wiping out her entire immune system, I mean, even a cold would be yes. so dangerous. So how did they do that for you to be able to visit and things like that? And then COVID. You were always, um, COVID really didn't, aff- well, it did affect us, but I mean, we were under isolation and we knew we were already, yeah, we would not have been able to leave the room for at least two weeks. And okay. when you come in and out, you know, they just make sure you're washing your hands really good. No one's sick. You wear a mask, all that fun stuff. Um, but they didn't allow the, her sisters to visit after that. They couldn't come in anymore. So it was only okay. one person at a time too. They narrowed it down to one person at a time, which was horrible, horrible. So you and your husband could not go at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So she has all these complications and, you know, my husband works. Um, I ended up quitting my job. So I'm, you know, primarily there with her all the time. Mm-hmm. And we ended up being there for six weeks oh, because wow. she had so many complications and um, she just like all these things kept happening. She had um, something was wrong with her bladder. So they had to go in and take her to surgery to clean her bladder out. And then they were talking about um, just all these things were going wrong and she looked horrible. And I was just like, the the doctor came in and she told us that Finley had that liver problem where I really wish I could remember the name of it. But that's she, okay, you've done a very good job describing it. <laughs> she has the very, very like slim chance of getting this, she gets it. Mm. And they're like, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, we're, we're going to do the best we can obviously, but like, this is really serious. And so of course we're just like, Oh my God, what's going to happen, you know? And, um, she also had another thing that was extremely, uh, an extremely rare virus. She somehow caught during that time too. Mm -hmm. And so both of them at the same time had the opposite treatment. So one treatment would mess up or like, you know, they couldn't give it because of the liver and they couldn't give the medicine for the liver because of the virus. So basically we were like, (laughs) they were like, we don't know what we're going to do, you know? Um, But they figured it out and she made it through and we were really happy. So we bring her home. Everybody's happy, you know? Um, And then since she had so many issues, they were concerned about her doing the second stem cell transplant. They didn't think that she would be able to make it through. So, um, our doctors suggested that, you know, we actually, they kind of made us pick because they were torn. Um, they had brought all the oncologists together at Lurie. They all were like 50, 50 split on what should happen. And then they called Philadelphia because there's, you know, um, a hospital, their children's hospital in Philadelphia. I think they called, um, New York too. And they had all these, you know, very, smart, intelligent neuroblastoma gurus and um, stem cell doctors. And they basically all had their opinion, but it was 50, 50, you know? So they said, you make the decision. Oh, that's awful. I mean, I can see why I'm glad they gave you part of the decision, but as a mom, what do you do? Right. So uh, Dan and I were just like, okay, she's not getting it because I would rather have her, if, if she could possibly die, I don't want her to go, you know, like mm-hmm. we know that what happened and she almost died. I, I don't want to go through that again. And maybe it was kind of selfish, but at the same time, it was like, no, like, let me have my time with her because of, you know, well, and you had watched it, her suffering <laughs> during it. I mean, yes. yep. And right. the fact that that cancer was so small too, I was like, right. Hey, it's almost gone anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, okay. So then after that, you get radiation. So we get through that and we do radiation. To be honest, I don't remember how many rounds we did. Um, but she gets through that and then we start immunotherapy. So immunotherapy is kind of like the cleanup at the end, you know, you just, Mm -hmm. you're getting just all the rest of it and you do it for six months. And that's supposed to be like, you're, you're like in the last stage and you're good to go, you know? And is that Um, medic like, IV medication or oral medication? Yeah, so it's almost like chemo. So you would okay. go in, you're there for, um, I think we maybe a week, not even, mm-hmm. and then you take three weeks and then you would go back in. But this is like, um, not getting all those side effects that you would mm-hmm. normally have with a chemo and, you know, her hair is growing back at this point, yeah. and, you know, um, we 
did two rounds of that. And we were told, you know, you, you do the full body testing every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And at the, I believe we had one round of immunotherapy and she had her, maybe it was at the beginning of immunotherapy. Either way, she had her test and they told us that they had found a very small percentage in her bone marrow, which she never actually had any in her bone marrow, which was always really good for her because even though she was high risk, it was, you know, that that's a good thing. And they even made the lab like run it back a couple of times because the percentage was like less than 1% or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So we had the option to do 24 rounds of chemo or continue with immunotherapy. You want to do like two more years of chemo or that's what I was going to say. How far in are you at this point from diagnosis? Um, this is about, um, we're like nine months, about nine months. So you've already been, and, and were you kind of going back and forth between being in the hospital home for a little bit back in the hospital? Okay. Okay. Mostly at the hospital. hospital. (laughs) We live there (laughs) at this point with radiation, she was able to be home a lot. So I I take that back, but radiation also had three other girls at home. Yes. So how were you managing that? That was your husband just kind of taking shifts or that was really hard. We actually have extremely good neighbors, really great friends that were able to help out with that. Um, as soon as the, the first night that we told them, you know, we're not coming home, Finley, they think she has cancer. We can't come home. They instantly, you know, everybody's at our house. We'll take care of the girls. We got this, you know, family's coming over, grandparents, cousins, you know, everybody's hands on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it started after a while, we started doing, um, we do like a schedule, you know, like, Hey, so-and-so's got on this day. And -and so-and-so's got on that day. And it just was, it was horrible. Like just, it, it was, you know, your brain's ready to explode, right? <laughs> I can't even imagine. And then what was at this point, nine months in, I mean, and I know she's so little, what was, how was Finley in terms of just like her, you know, her mental health and her personality at this point? Was Were you still able to see the Finley that she was before? Was she tired? Yeah. Like, how was she actually doing? So in the beginning with the chemo, she obviously was, you know, very sick, very sick. Um, during the treatments, but she always, she never complained once. I, I don't, well, once, like in the very beginning, when I told you she didn't want to lay down, she was in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. She never complained after that. I think she just thought it was normal because she's two and she doesn't know any different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she grew up really fast. She did not, I, I think back all the time and I see kids that are like four and they're, you know, the way they talk or act, I'm thinking, Finley was like beyond that. You know what I mean? And it's hard to believe, or you see it. I see a two-year-old and I'm like, Finley was talking in full sentences. You know, she just would talk to you and have a conversation with you. And just, you know, she, she was a trooper through the whole thing. She really was. We were very lucky to have such a strong little girl. (laughs) So, okay. So they said you can either do 24 more rounds of chemo or what was the option with that one? Or continue with the immunotherapy. Continue, which okay. Okay. Four more months. And okay. I, we were like, well, I mean, I think you should do the chemo. And the doctor said, well, I, you know, the immunotherapy, I feel like should clear that out. I mean, that's kind of what we do anyway, you know? So I, she kind of said, it's your decision, but I'm comfortable sticking with the immunotherapy, you know? So that's what we did. And, um, she did her second round of immunotherapy and we decided that we wanted to take her um, to our uh, cousin's lake house in Wisconsin Mm -hmm. because we were never allowed to like leave that far. You always had to be within so many miles of the hospital, um, enough time to get there, so many ER visits and she was doing well enough that we could just go, you know? So Mm -hmm. we planned a trip right after she got, like she got discharged from the hospital and then we left the next day. And we go to Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. It's like our favorite place in the world. Have a family vacation. Um, and like two or three days in, she just, she was really tired and she would be like that after immunotherapy. But after a few days, you you would get back to your normalcy and be, you know, pretty, pretty good with energy. Mm-hmm. And she just seemed really sleepy the whole time and never really got, like, wasn't really perking back up. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
I woke up one morning and I noticed she had like a bump right here above her eye, like kind of by her eyebrow. And I instantly thought, oh my God, she has another tumor. But then I was like, okay, relax, relax. <laughs> you know, it's probably a bug bite. Right, so right, right. My husband, he's like, yeah, it's probably a bug bite, you know? So then I'm obsessing over it. I just keep staring at it. And then she just kept getting more tired. And then she fell asleep and just didn't wake up. Like she, I mean, we could wake her up, but she just fell asleep and slept. And I, I kind of got really nervous. So I called, you know, called the doctors and they said, you should probably bring her in. So of course we pack everything up and we leave and we bring her um, to the hospital and she needed some blood. So they were like, that's probably what it is. You know, so she gets her normal blood transfusion. No big deal. You know, I, I lost count of how many of those we had, you know, they're like, this should perk her up. And they kind of examined where I said, I thought, you know, there was the bump and they're like, I don't think that's anything, but we'll go ahead and move up her, um, her testing, you know, um, they just pushed it up like a week or two because it had been already scheduled. I'm like, okay, good. So I bring her home and she gets worse. And the next morning she's just, she's just not waking up. She's really sleepy. So I bring her into the ER and they do, um, it's like a quick CT. It's like a shortened version of, you know, like, I don't know what they do. It's called a I don't remember, but it's really fast mm-hmm. and they do one and I'm so nervous, you know, I'm freaking out because I'm there by myself because my husband's with the kids and the doctor comes in and he's like, okay, everything's clear. We're like, we're, we look good. Okay. So we'll figure out what we're going to do. We might keep her overnight or whatever. And he walks out because I think something had been going on. He seemed like he was in a hurry mm-hmm. and I'm, like, oh. <laughs> I'm texting everyone like, okay, everything's clear. It's all good. It's all good. And then he comes back in about 20 minutes later and says, I'm really sorry. Um, we did find something and you know, she has a spot on her, oh her right above her eye, oh. but it was the opposite eye that she had the bump on. And I said, oh, are you sure it's that? He's like, yeah, it's this side. And I said, no, it's, it's that side. And I kind of arguing with him. Uh-huh. Well, to make it short, I, I go through all this and I get the, our oncologist to, you know, Mm-hmm. Ask the people who did the testing, are you reading backwards? What are you mm-hmm. doing? You know, she had it on both eyes. So mm-hmm. we could just see. And so they admitted us and did all the testing and come to find out it metastasized and it went everywhere, everywhere. So it was in her, on her skull, her sinuses, kind of like around her orbits. Um, she had it in her liver, her I'm pretty sure we never tested the bone marrow because we thought, well, what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure it was there. It was in her chest, in her lungs. Um, so it, it just was, she was covered. And as we were there, she just kept getting more and more bumps on her head. Just, it was, yeah. it was crazy. Um, so, so that's just a very fast moving cancer is that, I mean, cause you it, know what it's, it, doesn't tend, I don't know that that's the norm. I was told that that is very aggressive and they don't normally see that. So I don't know why with her, it was that way, but it was. Um, and I even argued about it when I found, you know, when they said it was, they said, you need to start chemo right now. When she first got it, it was massive. It it grew like by the second you could see it, you know, and just the way things are on the weekend at the hospital, you know, you're, you're waiting for this and you're waiting for that. And they don't do, they don't do chemo on the weekends. Someone is coming on Monday morning to make it. So there were all these things. And I, you know, I'm, I love our hospital. I love Lurie's. I, I don't complain about it, but that day I was, you know, you're so freaked out that you're just yeah. seeing people left and right, you know? Right. Right. Oh, uh, so we were given the um, diagnosis that she was not going to live. She could, um, they were going to try to make her comfortable um, with chemo and hopefully send her home. And they said, you know, she could live for a week or she could live for a year. We don't really know what the situation we will plan to, you know, do chemo. And they scheduled the next time we would be there and all that. And she just really didn't get very well at all. So we decided we wanted to take her home and we took her home and we had all of our appointments and we put her, they do a, they, they have a nurse come to the house, you know, and they were kind of taking care of her. 
And then we switched to hospice because we were like, we're, you know, and then once you switch to hospice, you can't do certain things at the hospital. If you're on hospice, you can't go to the ER and get certain, it's, it's very like all these fine lines. Okay. So then I wanted her to get blood, but if you're on hospice, you can't have it. So then I, mm -hmm. we switched back. We took her off hospice, <laughs> took her to the ER one more time. And they said, you gotta bring her, you have to sign a DNR. This is, you know, we're not going to be able to go much longer doing this. So yeah. she lived for a couple more days, maybe. Yeah. A couple more days after that, but she had perked up a little bit when we got her home and <laughs> she had just been sleeping for so long. And she said, mom, I want to go see, I want to go see Mrs. Nolan. <laughs> and Mrs. Nolan is, you know, they're really good friends of ours. They help, you know, take uh -huh. care of our kids a lot, helped out a lot. Yeah. And, um, their their youngest daughter is the same age, yeah. a little bit older than Finley. So that was like her, you know, best bud. Yeah. yeah. We put her in the wagon and they lived really close to us, walked oh. her over there. She enjoyed okay. the walk. She couldn't, you know, really play. So she sat and they all played together on a blanket, did little things and rode around in the car. You know, those little, like, you know, the motorized yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. And she had her last play date and then um, she came home and uh, the day we knew she was going to pass, it just, you know, it was just like, what time is it going to happen? You know? So we knew it was going to happen. So we ended up, we thought we were just going to just be family, just mm -hmm. us, you know, just mm -hmm. mom, dad, sisters. Mm -hmm. And it, I was like, you know what, you have to let everybody say bye to her because they have the chance to say bye to her. They can. So yeah, called everyone that loved her, that was close mm -hmm. enough to come and there must've been like 40 people at her house when she had passed. And it just was so, it was just great that they could all come say, you know, goodbye to her. And you had that time to do that. Uh, <laughs> it, like, it, I'm happy that she had that, you yeah. know, that yeah. we had that too, you know? <laughs> so. So I think this is a perfect segue. You're talking about bringing family and friends and everyone together to Finley to shower her with love and just give her the best last day possible. Yes. <laughs> I feel like as we move on from there, because I really want to get into everything you have done to celebrate Finley. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect segue to going from, from there on into the next year. So before we get to that, so Finley, you said the whole process from she was two when she had diagnosed and then she mm -hmm. was managed to fight the cancer for, was it about a year? One year, pretty much one year, just shy of a year. Wrong little girl and a strong mama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, if you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to tell us about that very first um, Finley Fest that okay. you had from there. So... We decided, so she passed on September 11th, which is a, kind of a very crazy day to pick since we, our, our family's friends, we're all firefighters. Everybody, it's a firefighter family on Dan's side and my side. So just as she picked that day, it was already kind of a special day mm -hmm. and she's just, you know, you can't forget that, you know, no, I can't. <laughs> so we, um, we, contacted the funeral home and had her, um, they had to take her to Lurie's because we were able to donate her lung and her, um, and we had previously, but we were able to donate her ovaries too, so that they could do research on it. And since it was such a progressive, fast moving tumor, they were really happy that we could, you know, yeah. provide them with her lung because that's kind of where it started. So they were hoping to I, I wish I could know what they were able to find out, but I, I know, but how but, about their kids in the yeah. future? Yes. So I'm yeah. so glad that we were able to do that. I wish we could do more, but you know, you, you just can't. That's a lot. That's so, a lot. Yeah. So we end up going to the funeral home and talking about planning a funeral. And I said, I don't want a funeral. I, 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 I don't see us coming in here and having that sad, line of people and mm -hmm. all these children that know her, you know, mm -hmm. I just, we're, we were very involved or our, our school St. Kajanin had been very involved with helping us and, you know, praying for her and making cards for her. And they just did a lot, you know? So I wanted all those kids to be able to celebrate 
you know, what she did and what she accomplished and not have to, you know, do a, the traditional funeral. So we decided that we were just going to have a big party and just celebrate. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was the best decision I ever made because it, it was beautiful. So we planned it on her birthday. So it would have been her third birthday, mm-hmm. uh, September 27th. And her favorite color was blue. So we had blue balloons and blue cookies and just try to went with the blue theme. And um, we were able to get everyone together and you're still talking about COVID here. So that was interesting to try to plan. And we had a sign-up sheet where we could only have so many people there at one time, but it all worked out great. And we were able to, you know, have kids come in and we had stuff for them to do. And we had cake and we, you know, we had pictures of her, you know, my brother put together this beautiful slideshow mm-hmm. um of all her pictures of her whole life we Aww. we documented everything you know and always taking pictures because you just don't know what's going to happen so mm-hmm. it was so cool and I kind of like a couple of I was like we need to do this every year you know and yeah. so that's where it ended up turning into Finley Fest so now mm-hmm. on her around her birthday every year we do Finley mm-hmm. Fest and it is a it's a fundraiser to help families that are going through the same thing that we went through. Mm-hmm. And it, so after, after this celebration of life, I had told my husband, I'm like, I want to do Finley, we'll call it Finley Fest and maybe we'll raise money. We'll just pick a different foundation every year so that, you know, we can just donate the money. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, you should just, we should just do it in her name and we'll, we'll just start our own foundation. I'm like, it's a lot of work, right? Right. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And, and we were sitting around and, um, a couple of different family members and they were like, no, you need to do this. This is, this is what they just kept pushing me. And I said, all right, let's do this. You know? So we founded the board. I got people to be on a board and we did everything. Um, I think we'd started it in July. Mm-hmm. It, maybe towards the end of July. And then the first Finley Fest was in September. We planned it in six weeks. Wow. Yeah. I believe we raised over like around $80,000 on our first one. Oh and that's my goodness. Like insane, right? That and is insane for a whole yeah. year, let alone like six yeah. weeks of planning. It, it was awesome. And that, that's amazing. We did like a birthday party. So we had face painters, balloon artists, we had a photo booth there, live band, music, Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. And, uh, so then we just, we're make we make it a tradition and there's, um, we'll have our third annual Finley Fest this year, September 16th. Okay. So it's, it's a thing now and hopefully, you know, we'll continue to be able to raise a lot of money. (laughs) I feel like that's the most perfect and beautiful way to celebrate the life of a two-year-old little girl. Yeah, it's because, great. Oh, those are all the things she yep. enjoyed. Yep. Um, can you also share? So I had heard Lacey's story um, from another podcast, and there were a couple other things that you had mentioned that I was just really drawn to that I was going to ask you about. Okay. One was the tents. Okay. And then the other was the, I'm going to get the name wrong, with, with the Christmas lights. Lights and ladders. Lights eight. and ladders. Yes. Would you mind sharing <laughs> about what you've done with those two? Um, Absolutely. Those two fundraisers. So the tent. Uh, when when we say tent, it's um, it's a pop up tent that it, you know, like the little kid tents. You can just pop it up and the kids play in it. So mm-hmm. when Finley was in her stem cell transplant, you are like I was talking about it before. You're you automatically know you're isolated. You can't leave the room. So mm-hmm. another family that we had met with their little girl had the same cancer. She had um, already done her stem cell transplant just prior to ours. And they gifted us this pop-up tent and said, we were gifted a pop-up tent and we wanted you to have one because it just, it really helped because you can kind of go in there and do your thing. It's fun to, you know, see it in the room. She could set it up in her hospital room when she couldn't leave her hospital room as like a fun to make a little bit more fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was almost like your escape from the hospital, yeah, you know, yeah. so we, you know, set it up on the floor, put blankets down. She would um, just get out of her bed. You know, she'd go in there to plan her iPad. She loved watching Coco Melon. It was nonstop Coco Melon at the time. So yeah. I let her have her iPad to watch it, you know, and she'd be singing in there and it was just, she loved it. You know, it was great. So um, 
come to find out, we get the whole story behind it. Um, they were actually gifted a tent from another child that had neuroblastoma that had a stem cell transplant. So he had started it and then they got one and then we got one. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about what we wanted to do, I said, I want all the stem cell kids to have a tent. And I just think it's really cool. You know, yeah. I think that it, it's just an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. So I found out how many kids get stem cell transplants at Lurie Children's Hospital. And I said, I want to provide you guys with these tents. So um, we went ahead and ordered all of them and they, they go to the kids that are getting stem cell transplants. Um, and since then it kind of evolved into a, um, stem cell, uh, like a kit, like mm -hmm. a courage kit is what we decided to call mm -hmm. them. And we fill a bag full of, um, sheets and blankets mm -hmm. because who wants to sleep on hospital sheets? Plus right. you want to make it colorful. That, right. that was what we did with Finley. She always brought her own sheets and they were always, you know, fun sheets that she wanted. Yeah really soft blanket. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the towels we provide usually put two towels in that are really soft because like mm -hmm. I was telling you about those baths they have to take, yeah. you get a hospital towel and it's really rough on your Rusty. skin. Yeah. We had our own towels. Um, it also comes with a pop-up laundry hamper, Tide pods, you know, bounce sheets Aww. to be able to do stuff. Cause when you get that bath, they also have to wash all your sheets. You have to change your Gosh. sheets, your clothes, everything. So uh, we provide all that stuff in there. There's an Amazon fire stick in there to hook up to the TV. Cause that was a lifesaver mm -hmm. considering, you know, when you're in the hospital, you're trying to flip yep. through channels and yep. your slow motion and you don't know what's on. That's amazing. Um, and then the tent is included in that. So that is we, so cool. we decided we wanted to kind of add other things in there because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a 14 year old probably doesn't want the tent or an 18 year old, you know, so we started incorporating, you know, things for the, the teenage kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's what that turned into, which is great. And, um, since then I've been able to, you know, connect a little bit more with the, they have, uh, you know, uh, the social workers and mm -hmm. the child life specialists up there. So, um, we're working with them. It's I, great. I love that. That is the coolest idea. And what I think I love the most about it is, you know, people can try to donate from the outside, but that's something where, I mean, that's just somebody who knows what it's really like. That would be something for hard right. for like me as an outsider to think of, Oh, a tent to escape. But the first kid who came up with that idea, yep, that kid knew what it was like. And so they knew exactly what would help. So it's like one kid exactly. helping another kid. It's really cool. I, and I like it. And we have all the kids' names on it. It's a great thing. Um, so we, let me think, we did that. And then, you know, we donate here and there, different stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But that's mostly what we try to do. Because I feel like I wanted the stem cell, you know, I just wanted it to be special to them. Because yeah. Yeah. in general, you always have toys. They always have all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And if we do donate any kind of toys or anything, I, I really try to aim for teens because there's never a shortage of coloring books and crayons. Like you yeah. always have that. I, I do like to try to focus on, you know, getting the teen stuff. And we've done a couple of journaling sets, things like that to put right. in the bags. Yeah. Um, and always window crayons and window markers. Oh. Because I just feel like you're in the hospital room. So we would decorate it. We drew on yeah. the window. And even Finley liked to draw on the windows. So if she was able to get out of bed and, you know, really get to the window, you're connected to a thousand things through your IV. Yeah. So it's really hard yeah. to even get out of bed, but that was always a good thing. Very cool. uh, so then after that, we decided to, um, we we're just kind of like got a group together and we're thinking, trying to think outside the box, you know, mm -hmm. and someone said, what, what can we do that, you know, people don't really help with normally something that makes a difference, you know, that you really need. And uh, one of our friends said, well, why don't we put someone's Christmas decorations up? You know, it's kind of, we're all really good at climbing ladders. And right, right. All of the firefighter paramedics. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like a instant, instantly for me, it was, it was an instant, like, yes, but everybody was kind of like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We should talk about that. And I was like, Oh, we are doing this. You know, yeah. this is great. And it came kind of was a thing because when Finley was diagnosed in October. So when December came along, she had spent so much time in the hospital. She was finally going to be home and she was supposed to be home for Christmas. So um, we had not put up any decorations and mm -hmm. my father-in-law came over and he's like, why don't you have any decorations up? And we're like, 
who's got time for that? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why would we want to? We're all super depressed. You know, this sucks. Yeah. You're going yeah. through this. It's horrible. And he's like, let's go get them out. I'll put them up, you know? So we're like, okay. So Finley's in her wagon out front and we all put the decorations up and it's, you know, more than we ever do. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the, everything, the Minnie and Mickey mouse blow-ups that she liked. And I don't remember what the other blow-up was, but I just remember Minnie and Mickey, she was obsessed with them. Mm-hmm. So she's happy. We got, you know, everything up. So why not do that for someone else? You know, who, who's got time at the holidays to think about that? You really want to focus on your child or, mm-hmm. you know, or your spouse or whoever it is in your family that has cancer. You, you don't, want to have to worry about that stuff mm-hmm. so that's where the lights and ladders brigade comes in and we the first one we just were like let's just get some volunteers well, my husband you know we all know firefighters and they'll want to do it so right. we kind of ask around and instantly within an hour of asking my husband's just sending texts out he's like I, I got like 25 30 guys already so he's like I think we're good and I'm like, oh, this is great you know yeah so I go to, we pick our family and actually, so we asked other foundations to join us. So we're mm-hmm. still brand new, right? Mm-hmm. So Christmas without cancer, amazing mm-hmm. foundation. They, they helped us so much with Finley and they just stuck in my head. They, mm-hmm. they were very special to us and they made it a lot easier. So I had reached out to them and I said, Hey, why not team up on this event? You know, we'll get all the volunteers and everything. Why, why don't we talk about it? You guys are Christmas without cancer, you know, great mm-hmm. person to team up with. Mm-hmm. And they said, sure. Yeah, let's do it. And then Tom Hopkins foundation was the other foundation that we had teamed up with because they were also another foundation that had really touched our hearts and, you know, made a significant difference in how we looked at the cancer journey. And that is a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> yeah. Take me like the whole two hours to tell you, but just know that it was very special what they did for us. And it's, it's a, it's a really good story for another day. (laughs) But um, so we teamed up with them too. So the three foundations together were able to put this together. Uh, We all helped pick the families of who we thought, you know, could all use it. And at the time um, we lived in Chicago uh, on the very South side, it's a kind of like the Mount Greenwood neighborhood, Beverly, Morgan park, um, really close to like Blue Island, Oaklawn, they all kind of were right there. Okay. So we, I want to say we did six houses the first year. Mm-hmm. So we lined up all these houses. We asked if it was okay if we, you know, decorate their houses mm-hmm. and they all said yes. And so I went to each one and I measured it. I measured everything mm-hmm. and was, and drew it out. And I said, this has to go with this house. And so we kind of like made bins and we were like, these are all the decorations for this family. And this is this family. And this that is, is so family. cool. So, you cool. know, cause I would ask him, you know, I'm, I'm really particular on what mm-hmm. I want and mm-hmm. I would want this color lights and I would yeah. not want, you know, like something else. So I asked everybody, I had a yeah. fill out form, you know, colored lights, white lights. Do you like this? Do you like that? One family wanted a nativity set in their front mm-hmm. yard. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, absolutely. So made everything just how they wanted it. And we're getting up to like the day before and, you know, we've got some fire engines lined up, kind of like have a little, not a parade. We were just going to kind of be in and out. It wasn't supposed Mm -hmm. to be what it was. It was just supposed to be something kind of like, Hey, we're going to help you out with this and put your lights up. Yeah. And the people that came just, I didn't even know all these people were coming. We had over a hundred volunteers show up and it was, I get goosebumps talking about it because I'm it getting just, goosebumps hearing about it. This is the coolest thing. It was just amazing to see it, you know, that people showed up. And and at the time I was kind of freaking out because I'm like, oh my God, all these people, it's going to be a mess. Like mm-hmm. they're all just going to take stuff and we're, it's going to be all over the place. And mm-hmm. what if we lose, you know? And so it, it ended up being perfect. Um, the alderman called the day of and said, Hey, I heard you're planning this decoration thing. He's like, Do you want a police escort maybe? And we're like, okay, yeah, that might help. And sure enough, thank goodness he called and we had planned it all out like that because we were like 50 cars deep, you know? So we had all of our volunteers were all in their own cars and then we had fire engines. So we're, I just, I'll never forget it. We're going down Western Avenue to the first house and the police are in front of us. And Mm -hmm. then we're honking our horns and the lights Mm -hmm. are on. So cool. I just can't, I'm just picturing being that family with that kid 
who has been undergoing all of these treatments. And then what could be better than you have Christmas, you have Christmas lights, you have police cars, you have fire trucks. I mean, like yeah. everything that kids <laughs> It was great. It was great. We had um, multiple families that had kids and we actually had some adults too. We had mm-hmm. um, one whose, um, the dad had recently passed away. So mm-hmm. it was the mom and her two oh. sons, and, you know, we did their house. And then yeah. there was another family who had just lost their dad. And, um, I believe, and then there, you know, most of them were kids and stuff, but it was really cool. And it went extremely well. And uh-huh. I had set a time, I said, you can only spend, you know, 48 minutes at each house <laughs> and then you got to get on to the yep. next one. Yep. And it was right on time. It was great. It, it went really well. So we decided to do it again the next mm-hmm. year and make it an annual thing. Mm-hmm. And we had last July, we moved to new Lenox from yep. Chicago and, we were like, we want, I want to spread this out here too, because I just want to help as many people as possible. So we decided we would do, um, we, we wanted to do one person's house out here because a friend of ours said, Hey, my friend's got breast cancer. She's got two kids and they're, she's telling us a little bit about her. And we're like, well, let's decorate her house. You know, we'll, we'll decorate her house for lights and ladders. Don't tell her we'll make it a surprise. And sure enough, you know, we decided to do hers and then we find out about another little girl in New Lenox or Frankfurt. And we're like, we're going to do her house too. And then we're like, oh, we got to do this house too. So we ended up doing six houses out this way and we did two different events. So we did Chicago again with the same neighborhoods. Yeah. Seven, no, six, six up there. And then we did seven out here with a total of, um, most of them were on two nights and we did one house separately a little early, but it was, it was really good. It, it turned out great. So um, I don't know I, if we'll do three events this year or what, but <laughs> that is so cool. And I, I will put all of this in the show notes, but can you shout out like a website or social media or where listeners can find you? Because I know there will be a lot of people who would love to like donate to your causes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's www.finleyforever.com. Okay. Super easy. So Perfect. thank you. I want to make sure that's out there because you are doing so much amazing. This is so inspiring. So I <laughs> want to make great. sure we get as much attention to your cause as we can. Yes. Like, we should have all the new um, Finley Fest is coming up, Lights and Ladders. So all that stuff will start popping up on the website in the next like month or two. So, you know, right now you can see, you can go on there and there's news coverage of it. We have a bunch of news stories and you can okay. watch them. And, you know, it, it's really a really fun exciting night and it's great to have even if people we have so many volunteers that people are just standing there yeah and they're like what can I do what can I do and I'm like it's just great that there's a crowd here community yeah just be here is is amazing so well and I feel like what's extra special about I mean all foundations are doing wonderful things but yours are so unique that's what I love about (laughs) it like it's it's very you guys really thought it through and have some really really beautiful ideas yeah, I think we started something because yeah. uh, it's it's going to catch on. I feel like, you know, more people will be doing it. And and that's awesome because I just love to see that, you know, yeah, anybody just I, I, I like to partner with other foundations. And we always kind of talk about how, you know, people might look at it as a competition, you know, like we want to raise this much money. We want to we want to get that, you know, but really, we're all working together and there's yeah. numerous foundations we work with. So we, we yeah. do a lot with Christmas without cancer, Tom Hopkins foundation, and then, um, project fire buddies. We just teamed okay. up with for last year's lights and ladders, and I'm sure we'll be doing the same thing this year. So it. it's really a good thing. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I have two last questions for you. Um, the first is more serious. The second, not so serious, but my first one is if you met another mom who's child had recently been given a cancer diagnosis do you have any advice that you would give to her yes (laughs) I think the biggest most important advice is to take the help when someone offers it and even if it is something so small it's okay to ask for it Mm -hmm. I can I can vouch for that and I know in the beginning of the podcast where I talk about how we did not accept help the first time it, it just, it was a whole different experience this time around, you know, taking the help when someone asks. And I feel like sharing your story is it, people can be private. And I understand that, 
I at first was trying to be kind of private. And then you think, I, I just, I ended up sharing Finley's story. And I just think that if I hadn't, it would have been a completely different story. It was, we were able to bring community together. I say we, but really it was Finley. Like, you know, people started yeah. following and I ended up making a, a page for her and about her story because so many people wanted to know. Mm -hmm. It brought our community together. I, you know, I would get messages from people I'd never met before saying how following her story had changed their life and how mm -hmm. they're grateful. And, you know, they just, the yeah. way they look at life. And I just think it's good to share it because you're either going to help somebody else or someone is going to see that that can help you. And yeah. I just think it's, it worked out really well for me. It might not be for everybody, but I just feel like that was, that was huge, but definitely take the help. And if you need help, ask, you know, even if it's a cup of coffee, yeah, <laughs> I would say bring me a cup of coffee because I couldn't leave the house and mm. I got two cups of coffee. That's, great. <laughs> that's, that's really good advice. Really good advice. Okay, so my last question is the one I ask every guest. If you could have a whole day to yourself, if you could go anywhere and do anything, where would you go and what would you do? So I would probably spend some time in nature by myself in the quiet, um, gardening or going for a walk just outside where it's quiet and no no other human interaction, just me and the universe. That sounds great. <laughs> that would be... That would be great. <laughs> I love it. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lacey, for talking today, for sharing Finley and your family with us and your foundation's work. And I wish you the best in the future with your amazing foundation. Thank you. And I thank you for, like I said, sharing your story, sharing Finley's story, um, and just to help other moms better understand. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. <laughs>